Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 91 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in St. Louis. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. Today's podcast is brought to you by our sponsors, AppRiver, email and web security experts. You can find out more about AppRiver at AppRiver.com. PC Law from LexisNexis, a leading provider of information and business solutions. Get your free 30-day trial at PCLaw.com slash radio. And Clio, online practice management for attorneys at GoClio.com. In our last podcast, we talked with Allison Shields about how legal professionals can make better use of LinkedIn. In this episode, we look at some new data on legal technology use in the legal profession. Tom, what's on our agenda for this episode? Well, in this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report, we're talking about technology trends with a look at two recent surveys. In our second segment, we are continuing with uh, our experiment uh, with the new segment called Puzzled. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip website or observation that you can start to use the second that this podcast is over. But first, let's get started uh, with our main topic, and that is legal technology surveys. In the past month or so, we have seen the latest versions, the release of the latest versions of two longtime surveys, the ILTA Legal Technology Purchasing Survey and the ABA, their, their Legal Technology Resource Center's Legal Technology Survey. And as usual, uh, they give us, I think, some good insight on where law firms and lawyers stand with regard to technology. Dennis, want to give us, give our listeners some background on what data we have about legal technology today and, and where these surveys fit into the picture? Well, Tom, I think it's always been hard in legal technology to get good, solid data. I mean, a, a lot of information um, that, that I get about legal technology is really anecdotal. People are telling me what's happening out there, what they're doing. And I, I, I've always wanted to have like really solid data, especially, uh, and there's some areas, uh, especially in the, in the mid-sized firm uh, legal market that I, I think we almost know nothing about what's going on in those firms in terms of, of hard data. So these two surveys, uh, to me, are really interesting. So the the ABA's Legal Technology Resource Center's uh, Legal Technology Survey has been uh, going on for years. It's a self-reporting survey, asks a lot of questions, gives us some information, and I, I think it's important because although it's self-reporting, and you know, not obviously not everybody participates, it, it gives you a sense a sense for some trends. Um, out there. And, and Tom, it's probably worth telling our listeners that you and I are now uh, members of the board of the, the LTRC. Uh, right. So, so we're, in, we're involved in that. And so it's become more, more, much more interesting to us. And, and the other is the Inside Legal, ILTA, Legal Technology Purchasing Survey, which is done in con- connection with the, the, uh, the ILTA uh, conference every year. And our friend Joanna Forche at Inside, Inside Legal is involved in that. I like that because it, that information goes out to the IT people in firms, and it's firms of 50 lawyers and over. And so this year, uh, the survey went out to about 700 law firms, uh, 
114 unique firm responses. So I think, and there's uh, mainly in the U.S., some Canadian firms, but because it focuses on the budget side of things, I think it gives us some really interesting uh, data that that you can use to to see where legal technology is going, especially in those in those bigger firms. Tom, I, I think discussing these surveys has actually become kind of an and, annual tr- tradition. Our our podcast. Um, what's your reaction uh, to what to what we saw, at least in the highlights uh, from these surveys? Well, you know, I have to say, and I'm going to probably say this at the end as well, when we kind of talk about our conclusions, I don't see a lot in either one of these that really terribly surprises me. There are some things in here that I would say are relatively new developments, but at the for the most part, I would say that uh, I'm seeing, at least I say for the most part, more of the same, you know. It, it seems like that that uh, that business is going along as we would expect, and and I have not seen any what I would call wild shifts from uh, from from one end of this of the spectrum to another in terms of legal technology. You know, if we if, if I look at the results uh, primarily from the ILTA survey, if I think about what interests me, um, there are two things that really stand out, and I know we might want to get into some of the specific results, so I want to do that right now. The one of the first results is that uh, that that they announced that there's a flood of law firms who are upgrading to Microsoft Office 2010, and uh, you know I, I I sort of have to smile at that, and when I think that law firms are always as usual a couple of uh, of years behind in moving to the latest version of Office products, you know we're now just now they're just getting ready to roll out Office 2013, and law firms are are just now moving into the current version. I I, I guess I wouldn't say that's completely abnormal. I mean, I know a lot of non-law corporations who are still running Office 2007. I know some governmental entities that are still running Office 2003, which is a little scary. But but I, I do think, I, like I said, not surprising, but uh, but interesting that, that they would say that there's a flood now that uh, 2013 is getting ready to come out. Law firms are finally deciding that it's safe to move to 2010. I think the other thing that interests me the most, and this really comes from the fact that the company I work for now, uh, you know, our our business is to work with other companies on managing email. Uh, one of the things, and 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 helping them manage records better in email. And I am just struck by the uh, by the biggest IT challenge. They always the ILTA survey always asks, "What is the biggest IT challenge?" And and this year, thirty five percent of the respondents reported that email management was the biggest challenge. And I believe that's been the same back for five years now. It's been the, the biggest challenge. But what's interesting to me is that if you look at the table where they list what types of technologies are, one, being purchased this year, and two, planned to be purchased next year, I am struck that only 15% of the firms are purchasing email archiving tools this year, and only 11% plan to purchase an archive tool next year. That So for, for a group that reports that email management is a big problem, I think you know an email archive is absolutely the first step in addressing appropriate email management. And you know these numbers tell me I'm just, I'm just, this is the one part that surprises me to see such low numbers uh, from people who identify email as such a problem, which sort of suggests to me that the, the folks who are taking the survey and law firms may not have made the connection between that, that kind of software. Uh, those are two of the things that strike me just off the top of my head. Dennis, were there any results that, that interested you that you want to call out? 
Well, I think you're right. There are a number of things when you start to think about the numbers that you see that really does feel like there's there's a disconnect and you'd like to dive deeper into into what's going on there. And your email example is, is I, th- I think, a really good one. Um, I always think that when you look at these surveys, you know, that you, you just need to kind of pull back and say, okay, what does this show me in terms of trends more than, you know, this is totally specific, accurate information. So that's that's what kind of interests me. And 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 I I gotta agree with you, Tom, that when I when I look at these surveys, it just I just sort of feel that the sense there's not much happening in legal tech. I mean I sometimes get that feeling when I speak and talk to talk to lawyers that there's no big things out there. I mean with a couple of possible exceptions, but I don't think those are huge in the way that that uh, technology is affecting the the legal profession is compared to what you see certainly in, in in other professions and other industries. It seems like there is that lag, and, and maybe that the Microsoft thing is sort of symbolic of that. I, mean, sort right. of, I sort of suspect the move to Office 2010 relates to, uh, you know, the the investment firms, have, the bigger firms have made into SharePoint, and so you want to kind of leverage that, but it would seem like you would have gotten to Office 2010 bef- before now. So some of that's surprising. I think that uh, from the the Inside Legal ILTA survey, I, what struck me is that that there's still the sense that uh, I, I guess the numbers show that the spending is still down from the 2009 downturn, which was sort of the bi- the year that there's a big drop off in legal technology spend. So it hasn't really come back up to that. I think the other thing that's um, the other thing I, I take from that survey is, and this may be uh, useful for lawyers who are on technology committees or involved in these decisions, it really does seem over the last, say, five years or so that there there is a sense that the 2 to 4% of budget spent on, on on technology has become sort of that a standard in, 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 uh, in that larger firm category. So uh, for those involved in technology decisions, that may be the baseline to look at because uh, that does seem to be fairly consistent over the years. Well, you know, and well, here's where I think that there's also a disconnect, and I'm a little confused when I look at some of these numbers, and I would love to talk to both Joanna and, and Josh at, at, with the LTRC to figure out how some of these numbers came about, because when you talk about the budget, I, I, I think you're right that, that, that they say that spending is down from 2009. However, the LTRC report says that they think that budgets are heading up, that, that, that 39% are reporting that their technology budget is increasing for 2012, and then I think what's also interesting is that is that if you look at the ILTA survey, the ILTA survey actually says that 52% have increased their technology budget. And so when we talk, I, I, so my, I guess my question is, granted, I was a liberal arts major and I don't know math very well, but why are budgets up but spending is down? And I wonder whether that's a function that, uh, you know, when we talk about the spending, it's spending per lawyer um, and, and percentage per lawyer, and, and maybe the numbers of lawyers are down. I don't know if that is affecting uh, th- that spend in some way, and, and that it's maybe less a function of uh, of budget and more a function of headcount. I- I'm I'm not exactly sure, but uh, I-, I was sort of you know I was, I was sort of struck by by that what I would consider an inconsistency, and maybe there's an explanation that I just don't get. Um, I-, I really think that that um, what I see here, and, and and I know that you pointed it out in our sort of our, our pre notes um, that that. 
that they're sticking to the basics. You know, hardware, servers, storage, those seem to be gathering the uh, the biggest uh, number of sales. And, and I think that's very predictable. I think that those are the features that are always getting the attention. It's 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 law firm infrastructure. And if it's not working, then, then your office technology can't function at all. So you have to pay attention to those types of items first. And, and I think that what that means is law firms are doing the right thing. They're putting their laptops and desktops on regular life cycles, replacing them every couple of years, replacing, uh, getting new hardware, getting additional servers and storage. Um, you know, the other things, the software, tablet computers, apps, those types of things are sort of what I would call the the nice-to-have extras that get considered after the big stuff is taken care of. Is that your sense as well? Yeah, I mean, I think there is that sense of sticking to your knitting, and I, that's troubling to me, as it always is. You don't see the things that relate, I think, are client-faced. Our, our client focus showing up too much in these surveys. Some really interesting, I didn't go to ILTA, but uh, certainly followed uh, bloggers and, and uh, other people who reported on some of the sessions. There were some really interesting things going on out there in, in actually uh, sort of leveraging knowledge management into client-facing uh, technologies that, that I think are really interesting. But, is, but it sort of seems like there is this focus on the basics and maybe lawyers' expectations have have been driven down or beaten down over the years because uh, when I see that oh we're getting new computers you know that sort of you know new laptops it seems like there's more of that and 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 then on the the iPads which I'll let you talk a little bit more about but the iPads seems like there's this uh, BYOD uh, thing you know bring your own device where you're expecting the lawyers to provide their own their own iPads I mean there's different obviously different approaches to that but it sort of seems like uh, the, the sense out there that lawyers are given the basic technology the basic uh, you know, Microsoft Office, and and that becomes their working tools. And so I just don't feel a lot of, uh, you know, I don't know what they're called, innovation, but, but it seems like the, the tool set for lawyers feels, reading these surveys, again, this is a feeling, it feels more limited than it has been in the past. No, I, I, I don't know that I would call it more limited. I would just say more of the same. I would just say it's the same as it's always been, and it hasn't really changed. And I think that where it has changed a little bit, and, and, and as you alluded to just now, is in the increase in the use of uh, the, the BYOD movement, the bring your own device uh, movement. And, and I, I, I thought I, w- I was struck by the results in both surveys when they talk about iPhone versus BlackBerry use in the law firm, I think we can, at least for right now, discount Android use because it really doesn't have a significant uh, foothold in any law firms. But, uh, I, I, you know, I think that the, 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 the LTRC survey made a big point that said that in solo and small firms, then uh, 49% are using the iPhone throw into law firms of 500 plus, um, then 57% are still using BlackBerry. That's completely consistent with what I would expect because I think that the big law firms are hesitant to move away from that technology. You know, BlackBerry provides a secure and trusted environment. I'll be interested to see where we are this time next year because I think that BlackBerry really is on the ropes uh, technology-wise. I really am going to be interested to see what happens uh, to them over the next year or two. But that increase in both iPhone and iPad use across the the, uh, law firms, I think, is almost completely uh, a Attorney driven, uh, and I, I, although I do know, you know, our good friend who manages a firm in North Carolina, 
he wants to he wants to roll out iPads and iPhones to all the lawyers, and so I, I would imagine that it's not the same for everyone, but it's uh, it's 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 something that uh, that 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 uh, I see mostly attorneys using, and 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 I'm pleased to see that most law firms are choosing to accommodate the lawyers and are supporting those iPads. Although I, I suspect it is a burden to do that, and they're having to to find new ways to keep uh, client data and and firm data secure. Yeah, and, and so. I guess the other thing I wanted to comment on is is uh, a couple of hot topics. So it looks like more acceptance of cloud computing, certainly with with some reservations, but more acceptance that that trend seems to be out there. Another, the BYOD thing, I th- I think really, um, you know, leapt to uh, f- to the front forefront for me too. That just seemed sort of obvious that that was happening, and a lot of different approaches to that. Uh, firms taking different approaches on whether they'll pay for apps that lawyers are using or make l- lawyers pay for their own apps. I guess there's a question about whether they'll reimburse lawyers for bringing their own iPads, iPhones, that sort of thing. Um, what struck me though. In the ILTA survey, in in connection with that, was that only thirty five percent of the firms had a formal tablet security policy, and and so again, a big disconnect. So you have the sort of bring your own device, let people use the devices they want, have iPads, tablets, those sorts of things, um, and and then have no formal security policy on it. it. Just seems like a big disconnect, and I I guess that's you know more. More uh, more reason for for our friends Sharon Nelson and John Simic <laughs> to have some things to complain about, but but it is striking, um, almost as striking as the in the LTRC survey when it said there was three percent of the lawyers who admitted that they didn't back up, and twenty seven percent weren't sure what their firms were doing in the way of backup. So there there's some odd odd things that you get out of these surveys that kind of make you scratch your head. Um, and and sort of question where where we are going. Uh, Tom, do you, what do you think? Can we draw any conclusions uh, fr- from these surveys? I'll only quibble really with one thing that you said, which which is with the with the tablet security policies. The the one thing that I did note is that although only thirty five have them right now, forty two additional percent are developing one. So you know, well over seventy five percent will have a tablet security policy. I'd really rather not call it a tablet security policy. I'd rather call it a mobile security policy that that's going to deal with data on all mobile devices and not and not just tablets. But you know, when we look at conclusions, like I said before, I, I I wish I had something more interesting to say. But I, when I look at this, I agree with you. BYOD is an interesting trend. Um, the the continuing evaluation and interest in cloud computing. Although I, I have to say, I think that law firms may be using cloud computing more than they realize. I work with lots of companies that don't realize that they're actually engaged in cloud computing because they hire third party vendors to store records for them for certain for certain things. And, and I would imagine that outside, you know, when we talk about cloud computing uh, for lawyers, we talk more about document management and, 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 and backup and email and disaster recovery. We don't talk about some of the basic things like, uh, you know, a bank that stores invoices or a, a medical bills company that stores medical records that you can view online. They're also 
to a certain extent, they're cloud providers because you're accessing that information from a different place. And I, I don't know that law firms really take those things into account when they consider, quote, the cloud. Um, but but I, I really think that there's nothing beyond those types of topics. My conclusion are is that I, I sort of think it's business as usual for most of these law firms. I think that the, the budgets are, like you say, going to stay 2 to 4%. I see uh, ad adoption of technologies continue at its typical relatively slow rate. And I see uh, little to no, uh, I guess, pickup in the adoption of really innovative ways of developing services for clients, um, except in sort of what I would think of as those outliers, the folks that you do see at ILTA who say things like that. Uh, that's, that's pretty much my, I, I would say that's sort of my negative or ambivalent response to the, uh, to the survey. What about yours? Take us out of the segment with your last thoughts. You know, I used to write an, an article every year about legal technology trends, and which actually drew a pretty big audience for me. And and a few years ago, I decided to stop writing it, uh, one because I didn't have enough time. But it just wasn't there wasn't anything exciting going on. It just seemed sort of, you know, what I would write was was essentially the same as I wrote the year before. And I had some people who knew me well who made that comment uh, on the last one that I wrote that it was very similar to the one the year before. And I don't know now that it would feel that there's that much difference. Um, you know, than than what I might have written last year or even a couple of years ago. So that's troubling me to me in a way because I think that law is in the same sort of category that publishers and, and other others are who are going to be affected by the internet in very significant ways, and and that's already starting. And so with with this whole notion of the legal profession changing so much, it's kind of surprising to see so much attention on infrastructure and things staying pretty much the same. So that, that gives me pause for concern. And, and maybe that's a topic for discussion among people in, involved in legal technology. However, I think these surveys are really important um, to give us a sense for trends, especially. And like I said, if I, if I were in a firm and I were on the technology committee, I was an IT, you know, involved in IT at a firm, these surveys to me, both of them are really essential for getting a feel for what's going on and maybe uh, seeing what other people are doing and then maybe ways that I might distinguish myself. Agreed. Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break with a few words from our sponsors. AppRiver, PC Law by LexisNexis, and Clio. Hi, my name is Kay Kenny from Legal Talk Network, and I'm joined by Jack Newton, president of Clio. Jack is going to talk to us about the role of security in cloud computing. Jack, what about security? Are there any ethical or security-related concerns that need to be addressed with cloud computing? We're starting to see the first ethics opinions come out on cloud computing, and the early proposed ethics opinions like that from the North Carolina State Bar indicate that there are no ethical issues relating to the use of cloud computing in a law firm, but that as with the use of any third-party provider, an appropriate amount of due diligence needs to be undertaken to verify that the provider you're using has implemented an adequate level of security and privacy precautions and is essentially taking due care with your confidential client data. We've been talking to Jack Newton, president of Clio. Thank you so much, Jack. Thank you. And if you'd like to get more information on Clio, feel free to visit www.goclio.com. That's G-O-C-L-I-O.com. If you like listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, you might also like the podcast, Law Technology Now on LegalTalkNetwork.com. Tired of all the headaches of running your law firm? Want to spend your time doing what really matters? Then you need PC Law. 
PC Law from LexisNexis is the legal industry's best-selling matter, billing, and accounting software. It has never been easier to manage your law firm and serve your clients. Get back to doing what matters to you. For a free trial, go to PCLaw.com slash radio. That's PCLaw.com slash radio. Or call us at 800-685-2161 today. Protect your firm's email with AppRiver. Send confidential emails with confidence using AppRiver's CypherPost Pro email encryption service. With CypherPost Pro, you'll control who sees your messages, and a patented delivery slip will show you when they're received and opened. There's no hardware or software to manage. You can cancel any time, and you get a 30-day free trial. All backed by AppRiver's phenomenal care. Visit AppRiver.com, that's A-P-P-River.com, or call 866-223-4645. And welcome back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. In this segment we call Puzzled, we pick a tech topic that has puzzled us recently and see whether we can make more sense of it for ourselves and for you. I spoke to lawyers at the initial Missouri Bar Lexport Legal Tech Conference last week and got the chance to talk to quite a few lawyers at the conference. In a session I spoke on about mobile lawyering, I was surprised when only a handful of attendees indicated that they used a laptop as their main computer. After that session, I also talked to a young lawyer who told me about how much effort it had taken him to get his firm to put up its first website last year. He also said he was only using a desktop, and the idea of using a laptop, which he had been used to his whole life, was out of the question. So what puzzles me, Tom, is is both how disconnected I feel from that, and, and I wonder how our assumptions about lawyers using technology are, are really kind of off and the implications that has for what we do in legal tech education. Does this puzzle you too? Well, I hate to disagree with you, but I, I, it doesn't puzzle me. It doesn't really surprise me to hear that. You know, I, I increasingly come across lawyers with all levels of technology, with a sophisticated technology education. You know, I, I was, while you were uh, speaking in Missouri, or you spoke last time, last week in Missouri, I was at the, the Florida Solo and Small Firm Conference this past week, and quite a few lawyers I noticed from the audience, they were nodding their heads, you know, at most of the technology topics we discussed, but from the questions of others, I, I would say that a lot of them just don't get it. And, and, and some people, I noticed at least one or two people in the audience who looked at me as if I was speaking an alien tongue and they didn't really understand what I was talking about. And, you know, I, I, I heard this from someone before and, and, and if I can't, if I could remember who said it, I would certainly give them credit. But someone said that, Many, that the reason why um, there's this disconnect, there's a reason why that there are lawyers who aren't as up on technology as they should be is, is that lawyers have the mindset that they must be experts at anything that they tackle. You know, we we as lawyers want to be proficient and capable in the area of law we handle. But when it when it comes to technology, not all of us can be that kind of expert. For all I know, Dennis, it was you that told me that. I, I think anyone can learn about technology, but, you know, some are just more comfortable with technology than others. And I just have to believe that that lawyers who 
don't pay attention to technology, do it because they don't want to try to understand it uh, and do a bad job of understanding it because it, it is hard for, for some people. And then, then there's the lawyer that believes that technology is not necessary to be a good lawyer. So they don't even try to understand how to use it. And, you know, to a certain extent, that person is unreachable. But I think those types of lawyers do exist. So I, I have to say I am not all that puzzled. I think technology runs the gamut, you know, no matter what occupation you hold. Uh, lawyers are not an exception. Um, I, I, I think that's partially what keeps you and I in business. So I, I'm not that puzzled. Well, Tom, here's what puzzles me about about this is that, uh, you know, over the last six months or so, I've been involved with the, uh, the medical profession more than I would like to. And, uh, what I, one of the things I've noticed is that doctors now all bring laptops into into the room when they talk to me, and they enter the the results as do the as do the nurses. They can access tests that I have within the system. Uh, a colleague of mine just uh, ref- is in the process of refinancing his house, and he was raving about how the bank has this uh, essentially little extranet site for him to to see all the paperwork associated with uh, you know, with his refinance and how awesome he felt that was what that bank was doing. These are sort of simple things, and you just don't hear a lot of, about lawyers doing that. So it does puzzle me, though, when I'm talking to to a lawyer who says. You know, last okay. So I did my original web page in 1995. So when somebody tells me that last year, 16 years later, they're at a firm that just put up their website, that really does puzzle me because it does seem like it's part of the, the you know, the basic currency and, and the basic tools that you would expect to have. Um, so I, I people are all over the place on technology. I think you're right, Tom. It probably was me who made that point about about lawyers and feeling proficient and and that sort of thing. But um, but it does question. I, I I it does raise a lot of questions for me in 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 two ways. So one is. I'm just not sure how you stay so far back in technology, you know, given what everybody else is is doing. And the second thing is that as a speaker at at conferences, it's just become really difficult for me to to know how to uh, pitch what I'm presenting to people because of the vast disparity in the room. In fact, after this mobile lawyering session, I went back and I was doing a session on LinkedIn, and I completely redid the slides in my approach because of my concern about the level uh, of, of knowledge of people that would be in the room. And I think it, it worked out really well, but I, I think it was essential that I, I, I did that. So... Um, I don't know, Tom. Maybe it still does puzzle me. I mean, I, I guess Tom, I'm not surprised, but but I am puzzled as to what it takes for people to move even baby steps toward toward new technology. Well, and and I, I agree with that. I, I I will say though, to use your your initial doctor example, I have also been to the doctor more frequently than I would like to, but mostly just to my general practitioner. And I've had actually seen two doctors there. And what strikes me, and, and I think this is an, an interesting point to your to, to, to your example, is that uh, one doctor I would go to who has probably been practicing, my guess is 10 to 15 years, um, he has a computer in each one of his, in his uh, examination rooms. 
and he sits down at the computer and he inputs everything that he hears that I tell him. It's automatically going into a file. Um, the main doctor that I see has been practicing 30 years. He's an older guy, very good doctor, and uh, he writes nothing down. He write, takes some notes when he talked to him, but there is no technology involved at all. And, and, and uh, you know, you wonder what's the reason for that because this doctor seems to be up on things, but he doesn't really seem to want to be engaged with technology. And I, I think that, uh, I, I guess I'll say that's an extremely interesting topic for another day uh, that, uh, that maybe we need to think about what is it in the mindset of lawyers or other professionals that makes some take to technology and others decide they don't want to or they don't understand how to deal with it. Uh, I'm not sure we can deal with it today, though. Yeah, I think that potentially is a good is a good topic, Tom, because uh, as you know, if we discuss it in this this section, it it does raise a lot of interesting questions that maybe we we should uh, turn to in an, in a future podcast. But it's time for our parting shots. That one tip, website, or observation that you can use the second this podcast ends. Tom. Take it away. When I was at the Solo Florida Solo and Small Firm Conference this past week, I had the pleasure of presenting with uh, my good friends Debbie Foster, Ernie Svensson, and Adrian and Linares. And, and when we gave tips, both Debbie and Ernie raved about a tool called SaneBox. And so I am going to offer that as my tip this week. SaneBox is a tool that will work with just about any email uh, program that you happen to use. It uh, I, I'm using it on my personal Gmail account, and so far it's working as as a uh, advertised, what SaneBox does is it plugs into your email, whether you're using Gmail or an exchange or any other type of, of email account, and it analyzes the email that you get. It it essentially then sets up a folder called Sane Later, which uh, which is going to be all the emails that you get from non-humans, the 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 confirmations for tickets and uh, the 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 newsletters that you might get, things for people, things that you know that you're not going to have to read right now. And that's why it's called Sane Later, is that you can go back and review all of that very quickly at a later time when you're not working so that your inbox only should have emails from human beings so that you can pay attention to what makes most sense during your workday. There's also a folder called Sane Black Hole, where when you put emails there, then you're, they, they say, I'm waiting to see, I've only been using it for two days now, they say that you will then never see from hear from that person again. So it's a good way to unsubscribe from uh, from emails that you no longer want to subscribe to. Uh, it's free for a trial, but they will charge you on a yearly basis uh, for the service. But uh, I'm trying it so far. I really like it. Sanebox.com. And if only it could answer those emails I never get around <laughs> to answering, then it'd really be something. Okay, so my parting shot is, is something that's an idea that's been around for a long, long time. Um, but now you can do it in Google, um, and this is just something that really made, has always made sense to me. So, uh, I mean, the the How to Geek blog has a blog post that says how to create your own custom Google search engine, and in fact, that Google has a page www.google.com/c SE, and it allows you to create your own custom search engine. So it leverages, there's a, a, a 
the site uh, tool that you can use in Google to limit your searches to one site, and that's S-I-T-E uh, with a colon. And so it's it's actually putting an interface on top of that. And so what you can do is you can create a custom search engine. Uh, you can give it a name, and then you can specify the web pages that it will search or the domains that it will search. And so then you can have this targeted search device. You know, obviously, you see how this could make sense for uh, for shopping, for other things you know legal research those things like that and so you're you're creating a little subset of of the Google search engine and uh, and and using it to find things uh, from only certain sites so uh, looks really easy to use um, and I recommend taking a look at that and that also reminded me that that uh, Google uh, just a couple of months ago did something called the Google power searching class which was a free uh, sort of video course you could take to improve your 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 Google search techniques and they're about to offer that again. So something to uh, definitely w- w- uh, look into. I thought it was really valuable, the Google Power Searching class. So that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Information on how to get in touch with us, as well as links to all the topics we discussed today, is available on our show notes blog at tkmreport.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast at the Legal Talk Network site or in iTunes. And if you have questions or suggestions for upcoming episode topics, please email us at tkmreport at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at TKM Report. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. And you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report on the Legal Talk Network, the premier online legal media network. Take advantage of the important legal tech trend of subscribing to this podcast in iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.